From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm Kyle. And we are super excited to have you guys back for another week of the podcast. And usually we start off our show with some uh, funny banter back and forth um, before we get into some serious topics. But today we're actually going to get right into our show because we have a special guest today that I am ecstatic that we have on. Her name is Sharon Hottie Miller and her husband, Ike, they both lead Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. They actually launched the church in September of 2018. And Sharon, she writes, she travels. Her first book, and one of the reasons why we're having her on today, is Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. Mm. She also has another book, Nice, Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More. That was released in 2019. She has a PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School on the topic of women and calling. She's not playing, folks. Uh, She's also a regular contributor to Propel uh, She Reads Truth and Christianity Today. She's also been featured in Relevant. We love those guys over at Relevant. Mm -hmm. And I am just excited to have Sharon with us today. Sharon, welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to tell you how I got your book. Okay. So I was sitting at my house one day and this was, gosh, this was probably two or three years ago. And I got an Amazon package. And I was like, I didn't like, now don't get me wrong. I am an avid Amazon guy. So Amazon's always at our house. (laughs) Um, But this particular week, I didn't have anything coming. And I, I looked outside and I'm going, why do I have, like, what is this? I open it and it's a copy of your book. And I, I, I'm looking at it and I'm going, I did not order this book. So, so I called Amazon and I said, Hey, I'm just letting you know, I got a copy of this book. And they were like, well, what book is it? And I told them and they were like, yeah, that's weird that we don't see any history of you ordering this book. And I said, yeah, you know, and they were like, well, you know, you can definitely keep the book. They were like, possibly somebody sent it to you anonymously as a gift. Um, And I was like, Okay. Um, so then, I, so I, I, when my wife came home, I, I showed my wife and I'm like, did you, did you like anonymously send me a book? I asked all my friends, all like, like all the, all the, all the people, right? I asked my mentors, like, did you send me this book? Everyone said no. And I, and you know what? It was so crazy that, and I, my life was a little, it was crazy busy at that time. And I kind of put it aside for a while and didn't read it. And then just not that long ago, I picked the book up again because God is beginning to do some things in my life, literally start reading the book. And I, it blew my mind because I'm going, God, like this is exactly what I need to be reading right now. So this whole, yes, no joke. You never found out how it got there? I, to this day. And when I was telling people that we were going to have you on, I said, like, I need to know, like, and I start asking people again, did you send me this book? And they said, no, we haven't. That seen- is so weird. Isn't it? God just airdropped <laughs> it to you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was definitely a God placed an order on Amazon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. To this day, I have no idea. And-, and so, you know, that's amazing. Cause I, when I was writing that book specifically, 
I I knew the message would set people free. I just knew mm. it like deep in my bones. I was like, this is going to set people free. And so as I was writing it, I prayed every single day for the people that were going to read it. Every yeah. single day I was writing it, I prayed for the people that were going to mm. read it. And so it's fun whenever I meet people who read it, because I think I prayed for you very specifically, mm-hmm. but that's a very direct answer to prayer as well. <laughs> yes. Interesting. yes, it's literally incredible. And, you know, and we'll talk a little bit out. I'll help you to understand why this book is such a, well, I, could, I, I guess I'll just say it now. One of the things is, you know, I grew up in a very old school family. You know, my dad was not a attaboy, I love you, give you a hug and kit. Like there was none of that. He was a pastor and it wasn't like he was a bad dad. He always provided for us. He always like he, you know, he was there, but you know, I've always had this, this, this thing where I feel like I'm just never enough, or I'm just always trying to prove something to myself or other people you know, because I never had that kind of, you know, uh, affirmation when I Mm. was a child. And I think so many people have that, like for whatever reason, right? It it doesn't have to be a dad wound. It could be whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's just something that I have dealt with all my life in business, in ministry, you know, and people, it's funny because a lot of people, when they look at me and they go, man, ministry looks so easy coming from you. And they have no idea the the hurdles that I had to jump over in my own mind and in my own heart to do anything that I've done. I mean, just to even step in front of people to speak or to sing or to whatever, it is a huge hurdle because mm-hmm. it's because of those wounds, fr- you know, from from then, right? Yeah. And so it's it you know when you when you have a book like this, that's how I know it was God. You know, that that's just literally like Kyle said, just airdrop this book on my front porch. Like it, it just unbelievable. I want to read something because of all books they give praise. They have people on the back that give praise to this. And you kind of flexed on us a little bit. You, <laughs> you know, Christine Kane, like um Johnny Erickson Dada, uh, and Voskamp. I mean, some people that yep. really, I mean, these are some powerful powerful women of God. But I love what Anne said. She says, when we live in a culture that's all about self, becoming the best me I can be instead of becoming like Jesus, this me-centered message affects every area of our lives, our friendships, our marriage, even our faith, and it breaks each one in different ways. The self-focused life robs our joy, shrinks our souls, and is the reason we never quite break free of insecurity. Oh, I love that. Such a great way to put this. Mm-hmm. So my first question to you, Sharon, is how did you start down this road of being free of yourself? I mean, I think, you know, when I look at this, everybody wants freedom in this area, but yep. no one wants to do the hard work. I would say most Christians want freedom in this area, but never quite get there. So how do you, how did this start for you? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's incredibly encouraging. And I'm going to hold, I'll never forget that story. That was oh, really amazing. Awesome. So a number of years ago, I, I had been in ministry for a while. I'd been writing for a while and loved it, really felt called to ministry. I'd, I'd finished seminary. I was blogging more. I had dreams of writing a book at that point. But something in me began to, to shift somewhere along the way. And the best way that I can describe it is that early on in ministry, I was just running, running the race of faith, you know, had my, my gaze fixed forward on Christ. But at some point I started turning and looking at the people that were running next to me and comparing myself to them. Or I was looking at the people that were a few paces ahead of me and I was needing their acknowledgement or I was needing their affirmation And if I didn't get their acknowledgement, if I didn't get their affirmation, or if I didn't compare well to the people who were kind of running alongside of me, 
it really started to shatter me and it stole all of the joy out of my work. You know, it was no longer enough just to be doing this because I was called to do it and because mm-hmm. I was doing it for God. I, I mm-hmm. needed to compare favorably and to to be seen and and approved of. And so I became really insecure, which was also kind of uh, kind of different for me. I, I I had not up until that point really thought of myself as an insecure person, but at that point I'd I'd really become insecure. And I'll never forget just crying into my husband's shoulders and and just mm. why why does this mean so much to me that certain people see me or praise me? Where did this come from? So I started looking into more about insecurity and reading, you know, books and articles. And and I started focusing specifically on Bible verses about what God says about me, you know, just how I am approved and I am loved and I'm delighted in and, you know, all those things and speaking those things over me. And I did that for quite some time. But at the end of it, I I realized after all this reading, all this research, all this work, I realized that it had not helped at all. Mm. That whatever was mm-hmm. deep down inside of me was untouched mm. by all, all of those, those messages about insecurity that mm. I had been consuming. And so when, when I made that realization, I realized, okay, I need to back up and I need to start over and I need to reapproach this differently. And during that time, I, I had two realizations that were really pivotal for me. The first was with the help of author Jen Wilkin. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. She's out of Texas, but she has a book called women of the word. And she was interacting with the the story where Moses comes to God and he's just been called to you know, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses's response is one of insecurity. He, he essentially says, I, you know, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm, I'm not your guy. Like, I, I really don't think you've chosen the right person. And it's funny because I think in, in our like self-esteem era, like if Moses was my friend, I would have said, no, you know, Moses, you've got this, especially because Moses was raised in a palace. He was groomed to be a leader. Like of all the people in Israel, he probably actually was a really practically a really great choice. (laughs) Is that probably would have like said all that to Moses. That is not what God says. God is basically like, who gives you the power of speech and tongue? Like who, who's in control here? Is it, is it not I? Mm. And so he, he says, essentially, I don't care about that. Like I wasn't, de- I didn't ask you because I was depending on you, Moses. You know, I want you just go and and don't be afraid because I will do this. You're right. just the guy that I chose, but but ultimately this is on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fascinating. Jen points out how God responds to Moses's insecurity by changing the subject off of Moses's inability and onto God's ability. Mm. And that was really eye-opening for me. And then right around the same time, I read a book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And that was another, that's a really, really short book that I highly recommend people read. You can read it in like a sitting. And he's also kind of interacting with this idea of the paralysis of self-focus. And what I took from those two books is I realized that there are actually two forms of insecurity, but we really only talk about one. And the one that, that we always talk about is, is low self-esteem, which, which is real. Like, and, and I would define that as not seeing yourself the way that God sees you, like seeing yourself in a way that is inconsistent with what scripture declares to be true about you. Mm-hmm. And so that is real and scripture has truth for it. The gospel has an answer to it. That is a wound that needs to be healed. And if it is mm-hmm. left unhealed, it produces insecurity. But that is not the only source of insecurity. There's a second, and that is self-preoccupation. If you are focused on yourself, what happens is you raise the stakes. Everything is a referendum on you. 
Yep. And that's what ultimately happens in, in stories like with Moses, with Joshua. You know, there's there's so many, um, or Jeremiah, I mean, there's so many different stories throughout scripture where people are are insecure and they are they they feel as if, you know, they it's it's all on them. Like God, like God chose poorly. And, and God responds by simply saying, like, it was never about you. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not the Moses story. You know, mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> you are not the hero. <laughs> right. I'm right. the hero. Right. <laughs> but when we think that we're the hero, it's so mm. stressful. You know, yes. it's so stressful. And so that that was really eye opening for me to realize that I my insecurity w- was actually not coming from low self esteem. It was coming from self preoccupation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what part of the reason why all of that self help like self esteem, why it wasn't helping me is that I was actually reinforcing the problem, like by continuing to say like, oh, you know, God approves of me. God loves me. You know, I, I, I can do all things, you know, in Christ, like I, 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 me, me, me. And so I was taking scripture. I was taking truths that were in scripture, but I was still turning them inward on myself instead of allowing them to pull my soul back outward to point it back to God. And so that was a really just illuminating life altering <laughs> realization mm-hmm. that I, w- the problem was I was making a lot of stuff in my life about me. That was not about me. I was making ministry about me. And what I then realized was my fundamental work was not to think that I was special. Mm-hmm. That was not, that was not it is I had to figure out how can I get my focus off of myself and back onto Jesus. And only then will I be able to enjoy this work mm-hmm. that God has given me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So good. So that does speak to every pastor, <laughs> right? <laughs> every pastor. And, and I know that we have a variety of listeners, but that does speak to anybody in a performance driven mindset. You know, it's just, we do that to ourselves. And part of my story is I applied my own pressure and it was a lot like that conversation. Well, I can't do this and I can't do this. And it's just getting the focus. I say it's just, it's a lot harder than that. And you elaborate on that, but it's the process of getting the focus back on who has the answer and who's able to do through you what he wants to do through you, not because of you. And it's a little, it's a little pride hit <laughs> because we take pride in what we do. And uh, so it's just in ministry, you know, just the first seven years of my life in ministry, it is that. And it runs rampant through districts. It does. I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's times where, you will see the you will see the competition mm-hmm. in in friends in individuals that are hey we're friends in this ministry but I'm I'm still trying to be better than you you know what I'm saying and so yeah. Yeah. it's just it's distasteful but you get caught up in that genuinely just get caught up in it because you you do care about what you do and because you care about what you do and because you love people you forget that you also love God and God is the reason you're doing what you're doing so yeah. that that'll speak to just about anybody Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And there's a part in your book where you talk about the mirror reflex, and it's the kind of this idea that you know, if somebody gives me affirmation or gives me praise, mm-hmm. then you know I'm good, like I'm I'm great, you know. And then and and we have this positive self image, but if someone criticizes us it kind of just gives us this just negative image about ourselves. So we rise and fall based on what people say about us completely. And we literally walk the earth as Mm. a product of everyone else's thoughts, or even I would say our perceived thoughts of what we think people are thinking of us. So talk to us a little bit about that mirror reflex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I called it that because of the tendency to look at your reflection. Like anytime you pass by a mirror or reflective surface, there's this tendency to look at your own reflection. And one thing I I discovered, I think this was after I wrote the book, 
is I was looking to see like, how often do we do this? Like how often do we check ourselves out in the mirror? Yes. And I think for women, it, it ranged anywhere from like eight to 16 times a day. It was like one study, but I actually, it was funny in the same study, it said that men do it more. <laughs> <laughs> You go to the gym. You go to the That's gym. That's what my husband said. Yes. And I purposely, like when I'm walking to get a drink of water, I'm like, don't look in the mirror. Don't look in the mirror. Don't look. Don't be that guy. Don't do that it. That is it's literally what my husband said. Cause I ran it by him. I was like, That's not real. Like that can't be true. And he was it like, is hard. He was like, that is the only reason there are mirrors in gyms. And and he said that this is funny too, or this was what it said in the study is that with women, like they're looking at themselves to sort of make sure everything's in place and you know everything's uh-huh. as it should be. But it said with men, it's much more like checking themselves out and it admiring is. themselves. Yes. And oh. I was like, wow, that must be nice. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine looking in the mirror and being like, Sharon, you've had a really good arm day, you know? Like <laughs> it's <laughs> it's actually like if, if I look at myself in the mirror at home. Uh-huh. It's a way different reflection of if I see myself in the mirror at the gym. It's like, it's, I pro, I'm just saying, it's like your mind switches and you're like, Cap looks good today. You know what I'm saying? You go home, you go home and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, you need to go to the gym today. You know what I'm saying? But, but guys do, I watch it and it, it's funny because I know I get stuck to it at times. So I'm like, He's checking himself out. That is so funny. Yeah. So anyway, apparently it's a guy, <laughs> men and women do it. Yeah. Um, but what I what I was realizing is how we don't just do this with literal mirrors. We do this in all areas of our lives. Like we're we're looking at the relationships in our lives as like a reflection back on us. Like, what is this telling me about me? We're looking mm-hmm. at our possessions, we're looking at our career, you know, we're we're looking at our you know, our family, our friendships, you know, there's so many different things that we look at them and we're asking, what is this telling me about me? And that not only it, 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 it gives everything in your life sort of this bent orientation, it breaks them because we are, we were created by God to love him and to love others. And we cannot see either one if our focus is turned inward when we're turning everything. Mm-hmm. And we even do this with God when yeah. when we go to God, basically saying, God, what do you think about me? You know, and it's not that, that God doesn't have an answer to that. But if that's primarily like why we're opening our Bibles is what does this have to tell me today? What does this say about me today is, is we're taking something that was meant to pull us outward and in love of God and others. And we're just making it about ourselves. And so that that has a way of creating really toxic relationships, especially if you are treating, especially if you're treating your spouse or your kids as if they are a reflection on you. You know, I think we've all seen parents do this, maybe been, you know, on the receiving end of of Mm -hmm. parents who have done this. Maybe we've done it to our own kids where, you know, what will people think based on how their kid is responding? And, And that just is so so toxic. But in addition to all that, very often what you're looking at to give you information about you has nothing to do with you. And and this was this was something I put very early in the book that I think is really important because I have that phrase, you know, it's not about you on, on mm-hmm. the cover of the book. And that can sound very harsh. You know, it can sound like I'm kind of like wagging my finger like, you know, no, you know, uh uh-uh, uh uh like remember mm-hmm. like it's not about you. But I think sometimes it's really freeing to be told, you know how your dad left? That was not about you. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know how that, that person was really unkind to you today? That was actually not about you. You know, th- it's so important to remember that a lot of the information that you think is coming back to you about you is actually not about you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, um, and I mean, the same way with me, you know, sometimes you, you just think, you know, you walk into a, a, a room and, you know, it's everyone's like this, you know, you, you walk into a room and you think, well, everybody's centered on me. They're looking at my shoes. They're looking at my, my jacket. They look like, like all the things. Right. And it's, and sometimes their, their mind is furthest from you. 
Right. You right. know what I mean? They are thinking right. about what they're going to cook for dinner or. They're thinking about them. <laughs> right. Exa- exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, in one, one part of your book, you wrote, which, and I didn't know this, but you said the, the great self-esteem, that whole concept is fairly new. Um, it, 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 like within the last 100 years or so. Tell us a little bit about, and I know you talked a little bit about that earlier, but just elaborate a little bit more on this this new concept of self-esteem, because I feel like so many books, I mean, and even Christian books, unfortunately, are all about like, how can I be my better self? I work in the, my day job, I work in the human resources space, and I cannot tell you how many books and how many seminars are about bringing my authentic self to work, bringing my best self to work, right? And again, it's it's bringing me into this as if I am the the idol. I'm the person. I can right. fix myself. Our pastor says, and I love when he says this. He says, if we could have fixed ourselves, we we've al- we would have already done it, right? If we were the answer to our problems, we would have already fixed ourselves. So tell us, talk to us a little bit about that newer concept and how that's kind of... In- yeah, so the idea of self-esteem, like the self-esteem movement, it actually began with, with the boomers. That's the mm-hmm. generation. And so I think that's important to say, because especially millennials are just kind of the like universal whipping post of, you know, the (laughs) self-esteem movement were blamed for it, but it actually began with, with the boomers. And so, you know, it's, it's gradually gained momentum, but what has been fascinating is there's now a lot of research now that there's been enough time to you know, survey it and study it sociologically just to see is, is this producing what it promised? And what they have discovered is that it has not, that, that especially young women now are much more insecure than they were a generation ago. But what is really tragic about it is it has not produced adults who are more secure, what it has produced is adults who are more self-focused. And so we haven't seen a rise in self-confidence. We've seen a rise in narcissism. Mm. And so it was just a project that, mm-hmm. that fundamentally failed. And I, and I don't think the, the thing is, and, and this is really important. And the more I've spoken to churches about this, the more I've, I've come to realize how important it is to clarify this. And I, and I do in the book as well, but it, it can't be understated is I think the self-esteem movement was trying to address something very real, which is the wounded self. And they're like, my husband is actually a really great example of this. My, my husband talks, he's very open about the fact that his dad was an alcoholic And so he grew up in this really dysfunctional home. And one thing that he never learned how to do, he calls it this unformed ability to affirm himself. So he doesn't know how to to just be confident. Like he he doesn't know how to just speak truth to himself, essentially. And so there's, there's a real sense in which part of the arc of salvation is acquiring a self acquiring a self in Christ, but then in order to deny the self, <laughs> mm. but you can't skip the, the acquiring part. You, you have to be healed in Christ. You know, you, you, you have to be whole in him, but then the call is to lay oneself down. And I think that we have to be really careful about skipping that first part, especially for people that are coming from tremendous brokenness. That is an important step. But to also know that the whole point of the gospel is not for you to like yourself. Like that's not the end point of why Jesus came and died. Mm. And so we we have to hold those those two pieces together. And I think what what the self-esteem movement suffers from is it stops too early. Like if you hold up liking yourself, being your true self, you know, loving yourself as the destination, that becomes its own sickness. That becomes its own spiritual sickness. Yep. And I think that is what we have seen. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Let's talk a little bit about the comparison trap. So in the age of Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and all the things, I will tell you, it's very, because I have two daughters and I have an older daughter who's, who she's grown. And then I have a, a 13 year old daughter and it is looking at two just beautiful young ladies and you know, telling them like, wow, you look nice today or wow, you know, the, you know, just whatever it is and watching them and other people not, they just don't believe you, right? Like it's, it doesn't matter how much you say it. It doesn't matter. Like they will never feel good enough about themselves. And it's funny because, you know, you kind of, in the book, you turn this on its head. And I've always said, and when I read the book, I was just like, this is it. I've always said that people, they don't really care. Like if you go up to a woman and you go, hey, you look nice today. Like it, it may give her like a short, like, like, oh, wow, that's nice. But at the end of the day, and you'll say, well, God loves you and God, you're made in the image of God. If we're really honest with ourselves, we don't care. We just want the guy down the street to think we're hot. Or we want the gal down the street. Like, no one wants to hear, well, God thinks you're beautiful. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't marry God. So, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so I think sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? We actually don't care. Like, that's not enough for us. You know, I I was in small, we were in small group last week and I, you know, I, we were, I just, we just, it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just kind of like changed the plans. And this question came up of, you know, if you, if, if God could do one thing for you right now, what would it be? Like, what would you want God to do? And I was talking a little bit about this book and I was saying, you know, of me always feeling like I I'm trying to be, to get better and, you know, do things great and, you know, whatever, you know, just for, you know, just affirmation and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was saying that night, I said, you know, Sometimes we have to be honest and say, we just don't really care that God thinks we're the best and we're made in his image. We don't. It's, we want, I want my boss to think I am the best HR person he's ever hired. Mm-hmm. I don't care that I'm made in the image of God. I mean, I, I care, but that's not what I want on a Tuesday morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, and I feel like your book, it just turns this on his head and goes, you're right, Kevin. Like, like, it's not about you. <laughs> like it's, it's yes, you can, you know, you should always strive to do what's right, but you should strive to do what's right because you are worshiping God and you're honoring God, even with your job. So talk to us a little bit about that comparison trap, if you will. Yeah. You know, I haven't thought about that section of the book in a long time, actually. I haven't talked to anyone about it in a while. And so it's almost listening to you now is making me even rethink it and kind of, or think about it in in new and different ways. Because I, I think, I can't remember if this is what the comparison I use in the book, but it reminds me of like, you know, when you, when your dad tells you, yeah, like kind of like what you just said, like if my dad was say like, you're the most beautiful one. Like, I think you're so beautiful. I think you're so special. But when you're a high school, you're like, I don't care about that dad. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I just want, you know, I want this guy that I have a crush on to think I'm cute. Like it doesn't, it makes zero difference to me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You think I'm beautiful. Like, thank you. And that is really similar to how we, we treat God is, is God is offering himself and saying, I love you. And and, and you are all these things to me. And it's sort of like, we, if, if that is not enough, like if, if this, if the creator of the universe's delight in you is not enough, then it's important to acknowledge that nothing will be like, mm. like there is oh, no amount of human praise that can compare to right. the adoration of God. There, mm. there just right. is not. Mm. And so I think it's important to just acknowledge that. But in terms of like, why, why is that? I think, I think, and and this is actually something I think I'm still sort of working out in my own mind is what are we doing with that, that affirmation is it, it determines whether or not it's effective, like personally or not. I think if at the end of the day, we're taking affirmation 
and making it about us. Like if we're just requiring everything to be about us, that is a pit without any bottom to it. Mm -hmm. You will just, it doesn't matter what you put into it. It's just a bottomless, bottomless pit that, that will never, ever, you can spend the rest of your life filling it and it will never be enough. But I think that if you can orient yourself back towards love of God and towards love of others, then there is some sense in which that gives you almost like a shelf to put those things on mm-hmm. where you, when someone's giving you feedback about something, you can praise God for it or something that, that I in ministry has become really important for me when someone gives me positive feedback is I'm, I don't suddenly become like puffed up about it, but I just think, okay, this is really helpful for me in terms of like using my gifts for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Like every time someone says you're doing this well, I'm not just like, praise me, you know, (laughs) but it's (laughs) more to me, it's, it's really helpful information where I think, okay, this is, this is confirmation of how God made me. And, and that's, that's really helpful. But it also means that I'm not going to, I'm not rising and falling based on, you know, the feedback I'm getting like any given day. Yeah. I think, and I know Kyle can uh, attest to this. I think as, as pastors, you know, you preach a sermon. I mean, you work so hard on a sermon and, you know, and you preach this sermon and you can too. You're, you're, see, I, you, I thought you're not playing PhD. She's got the, <laughs> she's leading the church. Um, but truly it, the, the same thing is, is when you get off that stage, I have always had to say, even with leading worship, I have had to, you know, be like that God, this is not you or this is not me. This is you, you know, like this is even after somebody said, Oh my gosh, Kevin, that was one of the best worship services I've been a part of, you know, whatever people say, right. I've had to literally, what is going on in my head, as soon as that person says that, it's not about me, it's about you. Because I never wanted to, especially in ministry, rise and fall based on what people are saying, because Mm -hmm. the calling of God on your life has nothing to do with what people have to say about it. I mean, if Jesus went by that, Jesus would have just stopped talking. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but Jesus went to the cross believing and knowing that he was called by the father and that his message was needed right and so it's i think it's it's that's something that especially people who are in front of people and you do get praise or or whatever from people you always have to keep that in check um mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 not always easy if you already deal with a wound a father wound or a or a you feel like you're lacking something. Mm-hmm. It's it is a tough road to go down, and you have to be very intentional to that you don't allow that to become something. Yeah, and I was just gonna say, I, I it is really complicated when that is interfacing with a father wound or, or something like mm-hmm. that. And because I really I don't want to shame people into thinking, oh, I'm just being too self focused and. I want to, I want to say, no, you know, God has so much compassion for you and, and so much grace and, Mm. and wants to, to heal you. But at some point to know that it's, it's not so that you can be healed and just, you know, him just put, sit you on a shelf and then you just sit there being all like, I like me, but it's because Mm. he has work for you to do. And insecurity has a way of, of getting in the way of obedience. You know, you can't run if you're, you can't run very well, if you're like staring at your own feet, you know, you can't run if, if you're really looking anywhere, but, but forward and that God is healing us for this, this race of faith you're created to run. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, you were going to. Yeah. So part of the CMN conferences and stuff that we were talking about, we would go down to Texas, huge churches, but I always admired the fact that no matter what stage I seem to like go and walk around wherever the pastor and the, the worship team wherever the communicators were going to enter, there was always a sign that reminded them that it was God. Like it was like a remind going on and coming down. Kind of like what you were saying, Kev, you come down and people are like, great message or great session or, oh, it was so powerful. And even though you deflect and you say, yeah, God's good or yeah, awesome, thanks. It's hard to have that mental battle because we're performance driven. Mm-hmm. And to know that there, it, it's just powerful to know that there is leadership that's ahead of that curve. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. they know 
they know that's the battle. So there's a printed sign that's like, tonight is not about you. Tonight is about what God wants to do through you. Like, and they read that before they go up there on the stage. It's refreshing to see that what, what you're talking about. It's cool to see. Yeah. Well, there's some of us that are behind that curve, but. And, and I want to say too, cause I think there's like a, a kind of understanding of humility that thinks when someone encourages you, you need to deflect it. Mm-hmm. That you need to say, no, 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 it's not me. That that wasn't me. That was God. Like any good that you saw, that was God, you know? Mm. And I think that that is not humility. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think there's actually something really powerful and important for both you and the person you're interacting with for you to simply say, thank you. Yeah. And yep. to receive the affirmation, but to receive it in, in a healthy way. Mm. And, and that creates, I think that's an important, you know, to receive it as information about your calling, to receive it as encouragement about your calling, but, mm-hmm. but not necessarily information about your identity, I guess I would say. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. similarly, when you receive criticism, it, it can be good to receive that also. Yeah, not and to kind of say criticism. thank you. Yeah. This is information about my calling. You know, it may or may not be, you know, this can be usually there's like at least a kernel of truth to figure out what is that that I can receive that I that I need to learn from. But also this is not about my identity. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so right. I think for, for both affirmation and criticism to to work those those muscles of being able to receive it in a healthy way that helps you to love God and love others better. Cause cause that has also been really important for me. I, I think a big breakthrough for me in this process was not fighting humiliation and not fighting humility. And and every time I did feel insecure, I treated it like this was a terrible thing instead of thinking, well, wait a second, what is this telling me about myself? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I insecure? What am I standing on that is not secure, that is making me insecure? Mm. And maybe, just maybe in this instance, God is identifying something in my soul that yeah. he wants to disentangle, you know, from my identity to to pull apart. And and so that has been really helpful for me in in the face of humiliation and humility at times is if I'm in a place where I, I'm, you know, healthy as a person, is to be able to say what to to welcome it, to welcome the gift of humility. And, and to realize that as hard as it is, you know, lowering yourself, allowing yourself to be lowered, allowing yourself to be, you know, humiliated at times to know that that is the path to resurrection. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was a part of, of Jesus's experience on the cross. And that on the other side of that is, is life mm-hmm. and it's better as much as I hate humility, it is better than chasing after comparing myself to other people, being better, right. th- th- that ultimately on the other side of that is death. Mm-hmm. And once I really began to believe that, because it's one thing to like say all this to you, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't actually believe it. But mm-hmm. once you get to that point where you realize, no, whatever God has for me on the other side of this humility is actually better, is actually for my good, I'm going to receive this humility. That changed my life yeah yeah man there was so much wisdom in what you just said i mean and wisdom in everything you've said but you know i and i'm really praying and hoping that people are really listening um Mm. and and really taking this in in deep because it will change your life you know you talk about when you make your church about you and it's we live in a very consumer driven society where, you know, uh, pastors are having a hard time keeping people because, you know, it's, well, the music wasn't right today or the, you know, they didn't, you know, all the things, right? The the carpet was blue and we voted that it should be red. I mean, all those things, I think it's, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that, but in your book, (laughs) I have to ask you this question because in your book, you, you talk about music 
and you talk about your, you know, I don't know what kind of music you like, mm-hmm. but you're very clear that, you know, there are some music that you're, you just can't get with. So I'm just curious, <laughs> what is your favorite? Like, what, what kind of music do you like? What's your favorite? I mean, I actually like a lot of different things. I, I think I get frustrated when there isn't a balance, probably, yeah. is, is mm. what it is. I, you know, like, I'm, I'm okay with more, some contemporary hymns, you know, or contemporary songs, as long as that's not all that we're singing, you know, mm-hmm. like, I really, I want some hymns in there. I want some, some theological meat in my, yes. you know, music. Um, I also, I really love joyful worship. You know, I, I really believe like the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes. And for church planting, we need that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, um, yeah, I, I think I like variety. The only thing I have really strong opinions about is is just bad theology in music. Yeah. If it's just bad yeah. theology, I, can't, I just can't get on board with it. So, oh boy, could we go down a down a road there that we would not <laughs> go down right now? But yeah, I you know I, I've talked to Kyle off air about that. Um, yeah, and I I, yeah. I really do want to cover that one day on the show. Because, you know, people just don't understand how rich and in the word, the hymns that are, some of these hymns are 100, 200 years old or more, and we sing them. And I, you know, it, it, I was reading something a couple of years ago where it said millennials actually prefer, like, they're, they're like, you know, we have a lot of the new songs and all that good stuff, but millennials actually are moving towards kind of more of the theologically rich songs than they are kind of the new repetitious songs that we have. And some of them are just bad theology, you know, in the sense that. Yeah. And there, there can be like no theology. Yeah. 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 Like there's, there can be like a shallowness where I'm just like, were you just under contract and you like had to give them a song and this is the song? Like it, it doesn't feel like yeah. there was any, you know, it, it's you, you think, you think about how it's supposed to be deep calls the deep and it feels sometimes it's like shallow calling to shallow. Like it just doesn't, there's just no there there. What I've learned to appreciate is I feel like for a moment there, we just were, we're getting caught up in a sound. Like there has to be a certain sound to worship that popular worship. But what I've experienced, Kevin, just in our church is what I love. I've never really grown up in the hymn, mm-hmm. in worship, like hymnals and worship. Mm-hmm. But when you can drop it into like the right moment, it elevates worship. Yeah, oh, it like it, it elevates it. Like it unifies the body. Like everybody can get with that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's the word of God. You know what I'm saying? And so I've no, I'm new to that. Like I'm new to even a modern version of the hymnals, but it's, it is the hymns. And I'm like, it's, it, it never fails. Anytime they drop it in there, it takes over. Yeah. And it's, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. That, that was the last thing I'll say on this, but that's one of the reasons why I like when, like at our church, we literally stop worship in the middle and read straight from the Bible. Oh. Like, I love that because yep. it's just, it, we need that. Like, because I think some people use songs as their Bible and it does become their theology. Right. You know, and it's like they live their life based on what that song says. Well, but if that song is not theologically correct, now you've lived your life in a way that, you know, so it's it's but let's get back back, and I could go on about that. But you talk about how, you know, when when you're when you make your church about, you know, when you make your church about you. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we we are in a pretty consumeristic society you know, it's, that's not limited to church. That's just everything. Everything. Yeah. And so we have, there's a lot of just moving around, especially I'm in the South. And so there's a lot of people who were like, I spent some time here and then I spent some time here and just moving all around. And there are definitely good reasons to leave a church, but if you don't settle down, what what happens is it produces in you, I, I think I talk about shallow friendships and, sh- yes. and shallow faith, because there it, there's a very real sense, and it's the same concept in marriage, where when you bind yourself to another person or a community in, in a healthy you know, situation, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about 
you know, abuse or dysfunction. But in a healthy situation, by committing to another person, by committing to a community, you are committing to grow and to be there when it's hard and when you don't like it and when it's, it's not fun. And that is actually where growth takes place, that, that primarily growth comes through that, that friction and through, you know, it's, it's iron sharpening iron and the iron has to make contact, you know, <laughs> like right. it's not, it's not like they're just separate <laughs> yeah. living their happy lives, but it, it's that, that friction, that, that contact that, that causes the sharpening and, and causes us to grow. And too often people bail when it gets hard instead mm -hmm. of staying and, and seeing, you know, what God could do, what God could teach us, you know, through those, those harder things. And so I, we, we take church membership very, very seriously for a long time. Ike and I, we actually would use a metaphor of marriage that if you were a member of a church, that we took that almost similar to like a wedding vow. And that if we left, it would be a serious, serious thing. But we wouldn't leave simply because we just hadn't liked the preaching lately or, you know, mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. didn't like our small group, <laughs> you know, something mm -hmm. like that. So it's not that there, there aren't good reasons to leave, but in our culture right now, a lot of people are, are just sort of untethered. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. hundred percent. It's funny, you know, you're, you're talking about marriage and um, when I do marriage counseling for couples, a lot of times I will tell them, you know, is the person that you're married to, you know, cause people say, oh, he completed me or she completes me. And that is it's not true. You, there is no one on the face of the earth that will ever complete you, but God, that person can compliment you. Right. And that's, and that's, I think what people don't understand because they say, well, that person completes me. Well, no, that person's going to compliment you. So whoever you are in your own specific, beautiful self, right? Mm -hmm. The person that comes alongside of you is a person who compliments that sometimes, yes, they are your opposite. Right. But it should be a compliment. And what happens is sometimes when we when we get in, when we get married, we make it so much about ourselves again, self focus. We try to change that person to be more like us when God is, hasn't called that person to complete us. He's called that person to compliment us. So they're going to be different. Right. Yeah. You, you put on a pair of clothes and you put a scarf with it. It's to compliment your outfit that you have on, right? You know, uh, so that's, you know, it's funny that when you look at everything in life, if we're not careful, we will turn everything into this self-centeredness and we say, well, oh, but it's to complete me, it's to fill a void or it's to all of that. But really, you know, it's, we're, we're narcissists mm -hmm. and, it, and, and we have to come to grips with that, you know, and I think that's the, one of the things with your book that has been so powerful reading through it is realizing what an idol we make ourselves out to be mm -hmm. when truly our focus, you know, you, you had a um, Francis Chan, you put a Francis Chan quote in here, which I am, I am a crazy Francis Chan guy. So <laughs> good. Anyways, um, he said, we can't cure our narcissism. By trying to ignore ourselves, the solution is to stare at God. That is beautiful. Because I think the knee-jerk reaction after somebody hears what you say today or reads your book, if they're not really getting it or understanding the way they should, they will say, well, okay, okay, I have to just forget myself now. Like, it's just not about me. It's not about me, not about me, not about me. And it's like, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Like, because now you're going complete opposite when the whole point is to stare at God, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Look full in his wonderful face, right? That's where we're, and then everything else, strangely, gets dim, right? Yeah. In the light of his glory and grace. And so it's, I thought that was powerful, mm -hmm. you know, just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Like I said, this book, the reason why, Sharon is on the show today. It's because this book showed up at my door. <laughs> and I, you know, I I didn't, and I'm sure God would have found another way for me to find out about her. But it that was a, a interesting way. 
for God to to bring her into our lives. But we are so excited and just so happy with the journey that God has you on. You know, and you just never know when you're on a journey who that journey is going to affect, right? And so it's just great. It's always good to be fruitful and faithful to God with everything he gives you. And you and your husband, you guys are doing that. And now we we are reaping the benefits. So I just want to say thank you for being open to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for just going through this yourself so that you could write it. I think so many people write books about things that they like the idea of it, so they write about it, but they don't actually do it themselves. No, I mean, this really, that's what I love about this book, this being my first book, is it still is a message I walk out every single day and is a source of freedom because there's so, especially in church planting, which church planting is an inherently humiliating process. <laughs> it really is like there's so much failure and even in our church is done well, but sure. it's just, just the nature of church planting is there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be moments where you just look really foolish. And if you are frantically trying to pull together and, and hold on to this image of yourself, to put forth to other people, it's just going to be this, this miserable existence. And so I've been really grateful that this book came before we planted because every time something has gone wrong or I feel like we look silly, I'm just like, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it doesn't like, I can try to be impressive, but I will hate this process if I mm -hmm. do that. You know, mm -hmm. I can try and like compare myself to what other churches are doing, but then I'm going to be really dissatisfied with our church. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want that. And so mm -hmm. it was really, it, it's been really liberating to let go of a lot of that stuff and, and just be small and welcome my insignificance. <laughs> it's just, it's really encouraging. But I also want to say thank you guys for having me on the show because I, about this book specifically, I have not been interviewed by many men. Mm. And part of the reason, and probably like my biggest regret about the book is it's a very feminine looking cover. And that's kind of how for women authors were given very feminine looking covers. Generally, it's got this swirly font. But because of that, it communicates this is a woman's book. And I've heard from so many men over the years who said, this book was really, really helpful for me. You know, mm. did you intend for it to be for men? And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is not like a woman thing. This is, this is like, I often tell people that this was really the inspiration for this book came from Tim Keller's book on self-forgetfulness. But his book was a big picture vision. It was, it was an idea but I needed handles for it. Like I needed to, now that I have this idea, how do I actually live this? Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is. And so yeah. it, it's not just for women, but it really is. I really appreciate you guys engaging it for that reason. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, I was going to talk about this and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up first, but you know, as men and, and the men that are listening, I just encourage you. I know how hard it is for a man to one, admit that you need help or to admit that you need affirmation or to admit any of that. Like, that's just, we're wired to be like, I've got it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I don't need affirmation, but you're screaming for it and it comes out in other ways. And so I really encourage every man that is listening, every man that is watching, I encourage you to pick up this book. And when, you know, when people write books, you have to understand it's not just so they can say they had a book. These people, people have lived through these things and they know that it will change your life because it changed theirs. God, there's God's no respecter of person. This is not a man or woman thing. This is a human mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. And, and so I just encourage you to pick up this book. Kyle and I are, I mean, we can, we can both go and shoot something in the woods. Kyle's actually done it though. <laughs> So we're we're manly men, right? But we <laughs> but we still have to admit that we need help as well. So I encourage all of you, men and women, to go pick up Sharon's 
book. So there's a couple places. I mean, I'm, I'm sure insurance, they can get it anywhere. Books are sold. I know we can get it on Amazon and all the mm-hmm. places. Is that safe mm-hmm. to say? Okay. Yep. Okay. And then you can also, if you want to learn a little bit more about her, you can go to sheworships.com. And then you can, uh, why don't you follow Sharon on Instagram at Sharon H. Miller. And if you're in the Durham area, North Carolina, why don't you stop by their church? I mean, if you're looking for a church, I mean, listen, I mean, what you heard today, I am sure there is a ton more that they have to offer there. It's Bright City Church, and it's in the Raleigh-Durham area. And so we appreciate so much, Sharon, for having you on the show And guys, you can catch this everywhere, everywhere you get podcasts. So the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Pandora, also on YouTube as well. You can watch this. And then once you do this for us, once you scroll down, if you're listening on an Apple device, scroll down to the bottom and just give us a rating and a review. It helps people to know that we're here when they're searching for podcasts. And again, We want you, if you're a pastor of a church, why don't you invite Sharon to your church? I think it would be a blessing to everyone to have her out. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, again, you can learn more about her, sheworships.com. You can get her book anywhere books are sold. It is Free of Me is the name of the book. And she also has another book out as well and i want to make sure i hopefully she can come on for that book too at some point uh <laughs> it's called nice why we love to be like and how god calls us to more and so sharon thanks so much for being with us today it was great to be with you guys absolutely and listeners we will see you guys next week we love you god bless you <laughs>